It's good to have everybody here. It's interesting that, that really uh, last week's message about God being our refuge, this, the whole worship set, the word that Roxanne shared, the, all the different things really goes along with the message today. Because if you, if you deal with a lot of Psalms, and we're looking at Psalms, you're going to find people many times in trouble of some sort. So they have to, you know, they're going to God with this problem, which is the case in the psalm that we'll look at today. But in this series that we're doing, which is, which is Deep Cuts, which was Bauer's, Bauer's idea to use that. Um, when you have Deep Cuts in a record, there's a song, you know, you always get these albums. We used to get these albums. There was always a song you liked or a couple of songs you liked and you never listened to the other songs. And it's when the deep cuts, when you're starting to look into those other songs, and you're saying, hey, there's something good here. Look at Psalms as a giant record album. And you have your favorite Psalms that you read all the time. Well, we're going to look at some of those ones that you don't. We're going to look at those particular verses sometimes that we kind of go over and we, we say, hey, there, there must be something here that we're not getting and appreciating. So that's where that whole whole title came from, God Bless Bauer. I made the slide, but God Bless Bauer. Anyway, um, he's always coming up with something good. Uh, but we're going to look at Psalm 59 this morning. And uh, this will be, um, well, we'll look at it. We're going to read it. I'll read it, and then we'll pray. And we will go from there. So turn to Psalm 59, if you have your Bibles. And we will look at that. Verse 1. Deliver me from my enemies, O my God. Protect me from those who rise up against me. Deliver me from those who work evil. And save me from bloodthirsty men. For behold, they lie in wait for my life. Fierce men stir up strife against me. For no transgression or sin of mine, O Lord. For no fault of mine, they run and make ready. Awake, come to meet me and see. You, Lord God of hosts, are God of Israel. Rouse yourself to punish all the nations. Spare none of those who treacherously plot evil. Selah. Each evening they come back, howling like dogs and prowling about the city. There they are, bellowing with their mouths, with swords in their lips for who they think will hear us. But you, O Lord, laugh at them. You hold all the nations in derision. O my strength, I will watch for you, for you, O God, are my fortress. My God, in his steadfast love, will meet me. God will let me know in triumph, let me look in triumph on my enemies. Kill them not, lest my people forget. Make them totter by your power and bring them down, O Lord, our shield. For the sin of their mouths, the words of their lips, let them be trapped in their pride for the cursing and the lies that they utter. Consume them in wrath. Consume them until they are no more, that they may know that God rules over Jacob to the ends of the earth. Selah. Each evening they come back, howling like dogs and prowling about the city. They wander about for food and growl if they do not get their fill. 
but I will sing of your strength. I will sing aloud of your steadfast love in the morning, for you have been to me a fortress and a refuge in the day of my distress. O oh, my strength, I will sing praises to you, for you, O oh God, are my fortress, the God who shows me steadfast love. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word, but thank you for the life of David, for the experiences the, he had. These experiences we can read about and we can learn from and we can receive things from you which give us really a new outlook on our own lives. So we ask this morning, Lord, that you would help me to be able to communicate and help us as a whole to be able to receive from you this morning truths that are in your word that will help us to see you as our deliverer, as one who responds, as one who is strong. So we thank you for that, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You know, David had his enemies. This is a psalm of David. He had his enemies. Jesus had his enemies, and Jesus was very, very nice. He was kind, loving, he was caring, he was healing people. He still had enemies. The church has enemies today. There are people out there that do not like the church. They don't like what it stands for. They don't want anything to do with Christianity. There are enemies out there, and we have our own enemies. If you are a Christian, you have enemies. That's, that's just a given. We might as well accept that fact and just move on with our lives and allow God because here we're going to see how it helps us to live our life even though there are enemies around us. So that's what we're going to look at this morning. If, uh, if we can, there's a, there's a key verse I want to read here, and we're going to go back to this verse off and on, and it's verses 10 and 11. It says, my God in his steadfast love will meet me. My God in his steadfast love will meet me. God will let me look in triumph on my enemies. But at verse 11, it always stood out to me. Kill them not, lest my people forget. Don't get rid of them altogether unless we forget, unless we stop trusting in the Lord, unless we stop realizing our need for God because we are sinful people. And that's usually what happens is we forget about God. Make them totter by your power and bring them down, O Lord, our shield. You see, we have a God who delivers. We have a God who responds. We have a God who is strong. And it's important for us to realize that. So my main point this morning is through everything, God has been faithful in the past. He is faithful now and will be faithful tomorrow. Through everything, God has been faithful in the past. He is faithful now and will be faithful tomorrow. So we want to look at three different aspects of this, that God delivers, that God responds, and that God is strong. So as we read this psalm and we look at it, we see that David seems to be in some sort of trouble. He expresses desperation. He expresses emotion. He expresses worship even in it. He expresses need for faith need for trust. So I have a question for you. You don't have to respond audibly or visibly 
because I don't know that you want people to know that you feel this way, but how many times have you left somewhere or quit something because it was hard, because you didn't get along with someone, because it was just too much for you? How many times have you done that? Oh, it's just too hard. I'm just, just forget it. Just forget the whole thing. I'm not going to do that. Just not going to do it. You had enough. Maybe a family situation where someone in the family is just too difficult to be around, so you just don't get together with family. How do we handle things like that? Do we quit? Do we run away? Maybe sometimes we have to just out of safety. I, I get that aspect. But in the process when we're doing this, when we're dealing with this, are we looking to God? Or are we just looking at the situation? Are we looking to God? David expresses a lot of emotion in this psalm. But one thing he does not do is ask God to take away all his trials. He says, don't kill them all. Don't kill all my enemies. This psalm is written regarding the time that Saul had people watching David's house because he wanted to kill him. And they had instructions to kill him. It's a, a memory or an expression of what David went through during that time. I don't think he wrote the psalm as it was happening. Because I don't, I, maybe he was, but I can see his wife saying, David, you got to leave. He said, no, I got a couple more verses to write here. I can't leave right yet. I think this is a reflection on what happened. And he had time to contemplate how it all came about, how it affected him, what he was thinking through the process. And he began to write this psalm. It's referring to 1 Samuel 19. Uh, verses in 11 and 12, it says, Saul sent messengers to David's house to watch him that he might, uh, that they might kill him in the morning. But Michael, David's wife, told him, if you did not escape with your life tonight, tomorrow you will be killed. So Michael let David down through a window and he fled away and escaped. Okay. David knew that God delivers. He is the deliverer. When we think of a deliverer, when we think of a delivery, what do you think of first thing, right off the bat? I, I think of Amazon. When I think of a delivery, oh, we have a delivery today, you know? I used to work for FedEx. That's what we did. We delivered things. That was our, that was our big, a big thing. But it, let's define deliver here so we can kind of get a, it's not taking a liver out of a chicken. That would be deliver. That's not it either. So let's, sorry. Um, let's define deliver. You'll never see that word the same again. Um, it, means, it means rescued. That's what it means. The word deliver means rescue. But even more than that, it means torn away from. In other words, you're torn away quickly to to rescue the person. I don't know if you watch some of the little videos of kids uh, on social media, and they'll have little, little videos of kids running towards the street or something, and parents running, and they snatch the kid, sometimes tossing them back, but they were heading for the street, and cars were coming, and they snatched them out of the way to safety. That's what it's talking about. It's, it's rescuing 
a person. You get the idea. It's a very descriptive thing. It's very obvious. We understand what it means now. David had experienced God's deliverance in the past. This is something that he was familiar with. In 1 Samuel 17, 37, when he was talking to Saul about Goliath, David was talking to Saul saying, and trying to convince Saul, yeah, I can take care of Goliath. There's no problem here. God's with me. We're going to take care of it. In verse 37, it says, And David said, The Lord who delivered me, this is the word he used, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And then Saul said to David, Go and the Lord be with you. David didn't say, I'm really, I was such a good shepherd, I could kill lions and bears. It was no problem. No, he recognized the fact that God delivered him. We, we see these things too often and we don't give God the credit. David gives God the credit. It's foundational to trusting God. Give God the credit he deserves. We, defend, we tend to forget who God is when unexpected troubles come up. And when we have health issues, we have bad doctor's reports, we start to get concerned, unexpected financial needs. Oh, how are we going to take care of this? What's going to happen? Our identity is stolen. Oh, no, now what am I going to do? All of these things, we, we allow these things to affect us, and we don't know what to do with these things, and we're ready to give up. We're ready not to, to just, uh, during those times, to just say, forget it. I don't know what to do. Our example is here. Don't give up. We don't give up. David's problem, when you look at his problem, his problem wasn't just a, a family problem. His father-in-law was trying to kill him, yes. But it was also a political problem. And, you know, if you put the family and politics together, that's a nasty mix anyway. So you have that going on in David's life. But David didn't give up. He didn't give up. He called on God to deliver him, to snatch him out of this situation. That's a smart move. That's what we should be doing, calling upon God, help, having him deliver us from the situation that we're in. He didn't, he didn't, and a lot of us do this. I've done this. You start to plan just in case God doesn't come through. And we say, well, I could do it this way, or I could do it that way, or I could, something to buffer, something to hold off until God's ready to do something. And too often we spend our trouble trying to figure out how God's going to work or how he's not going to work. And we're not trusting God in the process. We're coming up with all kinds of ideas. David didn't know what was going to happen to him. But he asked God to deliver. He prayed. God delivers. He prayed. God delivers. If you pray, God will deliver. How often have you thought of God's deliverance when you go through a trial? Say, say you're, you have an extremely close call with a car accident. Once that was over, did you say, boy, do I have great driving skills? <laughs> Is that how you handle it? Is that what you do? Or you have a, 
a situation with someone and it's just heated up, the argument, and finally it dies down. You come through it fairly unscathed and you say, I am such an articulate speaker. He couldn't be convinced uh, in any other way except through me. You know, no. See, God is our deliverer. God provides these things. God gives us abilities that we really, we are unaware of. Uh, you know, those of you that think you're articulate, you're really not as articulate as you think you are. God is the one that does it. Your driving skills, yeah, you may drive very well. You may have passed the test. But you know what? You better make sure God is there watching over you, asking him to help you, asking him to walk through your life with you. Was it those skills or was it God? I'll take the God thing any day. Now, Saul was having David's house watched so that they could kill him. David describes his enemy in this psalm. He says they're evil, they're treacherous, they're fierce, they're growling pack of dogs. They just want to attack. Now, they did have domestic dogs in those, those times, but we're not talking about, we're not talking about your schnauzer bowser sitting at the, your foot, you know? This, he wants his tummy rubbed. These, these are a pack of dogs. We saw these in Florida because people used to just, <laughs> this, this was terrible. People used to just let their dog, if they didn't want them anymore, they let them loose. This was in the panhandle of Florida near the Suwannee River. And um, we would just see packs and packs of dogs just running through the woods. And they would be fighting. They, they're trying to survive. And it's sad. It's very sad to, to see that kind of thing. I had, a, I had a Hebrew professor, his name was Dr. Ely, and he had a dog, and he'd always, when the dog would bark or something like that at us, he would say, he would say, quiet dog, because that was the dog's name, only it was in Hebrew. He said, quiet dog, get on your house. And the dog would immediately be quiet, and he'd go and he'd jump on his house. And he'd stand on the top of his house, and he'd just stand there until he said he could get down. And he said it to him in Hebrew. The dog had a better Hebrew grade than I did. It was terrible. But this is what happens. We have these dogs running around. They're vicious animals. They're growling and mean. And really, the term in here, it's, it's a derogatory statement because that's what the Jews used to call Gentiles. They were dogs. They were wild animals. They were no good. And that's what you would call these people. And David's saying these people are dogs. He's trying to say this is a nasty Situation. It is not a term of endearment whatsoever. But basically, David was being stopped. And David, though fearful, trusted God. He was trusting God. Now, remember, now we see this, we tend to see things and we tend to respond to things by our past experiences. We respond to things that happen in the present by what we experienced in the past. If you had a bad experience at a certain place, you don't want to go back there. If you had a bad experience with a certain cashier at the grocery store, you avoid that cashier. That past experience affects your present. This can hinder our experience with God. If we don't recognize the goodness of God in the past and see what he's done, we're not going to trust him for the future. You see what I'm saying? I don't know if I'm making that clear, but David remembering that God is faithful, that God would deliver him, 
there was a faith of certainty in his voice when he's, when he's writing this. Even though the house was being watched, he had the confidence that God would deliver him, that he would be snatched away. And that would happen numerous times in his life. This is the interesting thing about this. The things that happen in our life today help to build our faith for tomorrow. The problem is we don't look at them that way. We say, oh, glad that's over with, and we shove it out of the way. Then we go to the next thing, and we're hit with the same thing, and we have to learn the exact same lesson over again, and we're not trusting God. We have to go through, oh, how am I going to get through this? And we're spending all this time doing this. David says in verse 10, my God in his steadfast love will meet me. We have to realize this. When we're walking through life, no matter what the problem is, my God in his steadfast love will meet me. God will let me look in triumph over my enemies. So we want to look at how God responds. How did God respond? My second point. How did God respond to David? He does respond, okay? This is an interesting aspect of this. You see, the key here is that David knew God. He was a man after God's own heart. There's an aspect of this when we, we need to have a sensitivity to what God is doing. It's related to what we were just talking about. We need to know God better. He's a man after God's own heart. He needed a response, a response. And you know, David was never a perfect person, but he didn't do anything wrong in this situation. David didn't sin. David didn't cause any problems. David didn't have a problem. Saul was trying to kill him. This time he'd done nothing wrong. Verses 3 through 5, it says, For behold, they lie in wait for me. Fierce men stir up strife against me. For no transgression or sin of mine, O Lord. It wasn't my fault. And it's not just David trying to deny it. It's it's actually, he he didn't do anything wrong here. How many times can we say that? Not very many. Because if you look at David's history, he did plenty of things wrong. He did a lot of things wrong. But in this case, he's going, what in the world? Verse 4, for no fault of mine, they run and make ready. Awake, come to meet me and see. You Lord, you Lord, God of hosts, or God of Israel, rouse yourself to punish all the nations. Spare none of those who treacherously plot evil. So he's asking God to wake up. He's asking God to do something. Don't you hate it when people treat you poorly when you didn't do anything? You didn't do anything wrong. Don't you just, don't you hate that? Well, that's what, what would you do? What do you do? You just, you just grin and bear it. You defend yourself. David's just trying to stay alive. David needs to go to God. And he says what he felt. He expresses his heart to God, what he's feeling. He doesn't hold back. This is part of that relationship with God that I'm talking about. If you have a close relationship with God, which each one of us can have because it's been provided through Jesus Christ who came and died for our sins, we can have that relationship where we can share with God anything. We can talk to him about anything. We can go to him with anything. And it's not this 
formal aspect. And, and again, I'm, I'm not saying we should be so formal with God that we're disrespecting him by any means. But we should be able to, he is our brother. He is, we're part of his family. And we can share with him. We don't need to be afraid of God. God was his God. God is our God. We need to remember that. So he says, wake up, rouse yourself. He said it like it was. If we define the word awake, it says, open your eyes. <laughs> Awaken, open your eyes. The word rouse is abruptly awaken. Just get up, get up, please. You know, he's, he's desperate. It's okay to be desperate when we're faced with trial, but we want to share that desperation with God. We don't want to get an ulcer over it. We want to share it with God. Whenever we were awakened in the morning when I was growing up, my stepfather used to come upstairs. I think I've told some of you this before. But you'd be asleep in bed, and it was time to get up because we had to go to school. And he would grab your big toe and he would start to turn it like this. And then he would start to pull back. And it's amazing how you would follow him right out of the bed. And he'd just say, it's time to get up. And that's how he woke me up every morning. Now that he's 97 years old, I should go in there and grab a hold of his toe and see how quick. I don't think he'll get up very quickly. Anyway, he's saying, can you see my problem? That's what he's David's saying to the Lord, can you see my problem? Kind of like the way uh, Roxanne was sharing earlier. Do you see what's happening to me? Each evening they come back, they're howling like dogs, they're prowling the city, verse 6 and 7. There they are bellowing with their mouths. Some versions say belching. It's the only time you can talk about burping in the Bible. They, they just bleh. It's like, it's like the, the same, it's like a, um, like a uh, effervescence carbonated drink opening. That's what, it's like, bah! that's the way they were communicating. And they say, who, they think, they will hear us. Nobody's listening to us. We can make as much noise as we want. They're just growling, making noise. But you, O oh Lord, laugh at them. This is another response. See, David's looking at it, he's going, really, the Lord's laughing at, at them. You, O oh Lord, laugh at them. You hold all the nations in derision. Oh, my strength. That's God. He's our strength. Oh, my strength. I will watch for you. For you, O oh God, are my fortress. My God, in his steadfast love, will meet me. God will let me look in triumph on my enemies. David proclaims God's response with statements of security. It's making him feel more secure, realizing what God is doing. There's deliverance, there's victory going in there. He's telling truths about who God is to himself, to his own soul, and that everything's going to work out fine. Let's remind ourselves again, our view of God in the past has an effect of our view in the present. Our view of God in the past has an effect of our view in the present. If we have seen God move in the past, do we believe that he will provide for the present, as David did? Or is it the same battle we face over and over, a new trial, a new battle, same old, same old? And you get discouraging when you live like that. It's tiring. Having a, a response of faithlessness all the time uh, can be very wearing on our soul. 
It's almost like we believe we come to church, and I, I think there are a lot of people who do this. I'm not picking out anybody here, but I think in churches in general, I think a lot of people come to church on a Sunday morning, but by the time Monday morning hits and they see the reality of life that they have to deal with, they're actually starting to live like a practical atheist. They're not trusting God for what's going on. They're good on Sunday, but as soon as they get home, and as soon as they're faced with everything else, they're not trusting God. Well, you might as well be an atheist, a part-time atheist, because you're not even thinking of what God's doing in your life. And God has so much more to offer us when we move forward. David wanted a, his God to be involved in every aspect of his life. We forget the truth about God's word, and we struggle, wonder what's happening. Or we can trust God, we can believe, we can have peace. The kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy. I want to live within the kingdom of God. I want righteousness, peace, and joy in my heart. Not that I have it down, I'm not saying I do, but that's what I would like to realize in my life. God's available 24-7. You know, I, I liked it. There was a wedding the other day, yesterday, right? Um, not that I did. Weddings are really fun most of the time, um, unless you have to pay for them or, or you have to give your daughter away, which I've had to do two of those. It's always hard to do that. Um, uh, and then, of course, officiating at a wedding, you're, you're, you don't want to mess it up because this is a special moment. So for a pastor or a dad, nobody else cares. You know, about, we don't care about anybody else. For a pastor or a dad, it's, weddings can be difficult. The thing that's interesting about weddings, and I've told this to couples because inevitably, which wasn't the case yesterday, but the majority of weddings something's going to go wrong. Something is going to happen. Something is going to start to deteriorate. You know, there's all that love in the air, and everybody's happy until that one thing, like the, the kitchen catches fire in the receptionist hall, or, you know, something happens. The flowers don't show up, or something goes wrong anyway. You know, the, the groom ate too much the night before, and now he can't fit in his tux. You know, that kind of thing. Something is always going to go wrong. Your third cousin George shows up, and you didn't invite him. You know, that kind of thing. What I usually am thinking is, if you think this is the only problem you're going to have, as a married couple, you're wrong. <laughs> but what I tell them is something totally different. What I tell them is first, you know what we're going to do? We're going to pray. And we're going to ask God to do something. And then I say, you know what? We're going to have a wedding ceremony today. And we're going to go through this ceremony. And by the time I am done officiating by the power vested in me, you are going to be married. And that's all that matters. The job is going to be done. We don't have to worry about the problems. Everything's going to work out. You know, Roxanne and I were married. Back when we got married, uh, they used to play the organ in churches. You know, they played the wedding march with an organ. And we couldn't get married in 
Roxanne's home church. They were renovating it. It was too small anyway. We were such a popular couple. <laughs> and, um, and so we went to the Baptist church down the street. And the Baptists were very nice, but they locked the organ. And we went, we can't get into the organ. Now, if that's the only problem we ever had for our marriage, that would have been great, huh? But anyway, um, when people, they played the piano, the organist went over to the piano and started playing the piano. Nobody knew what to do because back then, traditionally, the organ was played. And so when Roxanne came down, they hear a piano, they're going, what? Is she coming or isn't she? But anyway, I digress, don't I? Um, they're going to be married by the time. Life has its problems. I don't care what it is. It can be a wedding. It can be a funeral. It, although funerals are more fun to do. It's all of these issues that we deal with through life. They're easier to do, believe me. Um, all the things that come up, they're not showstoppers. These things are not. They're opportunities for God to respond. And in the end, you'll still be married, so to speak. Let's go to the third point. God is strong. He's stronger than our own strength. We don't want to rely on our own strength. We can't carry these things in our own strength. God is the strong one. Strength defined here has to do with physical strength, has to do with social strength, has to do with political strength, has to do with personal strength. God has it all. That's what the word has to do. God has it all. He has it all together. David says in verse 9, Oh, my strength, I will watch for you. Because God is strong, David's going to watch. He is the one that can take care of it. I am going to watch for you. If you look at that word watch, it says to keep or to guard or to observe or to take heed. You know, when we're a watchman, the Bible talks about being a watchman, we watch to know when danger's coming. We're watching to see what's going on. We're watching people to learn things. We need to learn. We need to be the watchman of our own souls. We need to see what's good spiritually for our lives. Sometimes we pay more attention to other people, uh, other people's souls than we do our, our own. And we need to be watching our own life. Watching is observing, watching and learning what the Lord is doing. The Lord wants to teach us. We need to learn how to navigate through life. If we're watching, we'll see much more than we could ever imagine. If we're watching for God, we're going to see much more than we ever thought we, we could do. It's, life is not supposed to be some haphazard pathway that we're just trying to struggle and every once in a while we see a glimmer of God. God's supposed to be in our lives every day. The New Testament is alone is full of the word watch. Watch yourself against sin. Watch your tongue. I'm working on that one. Watch. He was, Jesus told the disciples to watch many times. Watch and pray. Watch out for the enemy. Watching for the end times. Spiritual wakefulness. Being aware watching for the second coming, always watching. There's some aspect of that to keep our eyes. We sing, turn our eyes upon Jesus, look full on his wonderful face, and the things of earth will go strangely dim in light of his glory and grace. Watch the Lord. Watch the Lord. David says, oh, my strength, I will watch for you. You are my deliverer. You're my protector. As Bauer shared last week, Psalm 46, verse 1, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. 
He's our refuge. He's our strength. He's our present help. Not tomorrow's help, not yesterday's help. He's our present help. And David knows God, and he knows this. David is so into God's strength. He wants to see more of it, and so he sings about it, he says. Verse 16, but I will sing of your strength. I will sing aloud of your steadfast love in the morning. You morning people, I'm sure, would really appreciate that. I will sing of your strength really loud in the morning. Verse 17, oh, my strength, I will sing praises to you. David puts trust not in his own strength, but in God's. The last part of verse 16, for you have been for me a fortress. See, David's looking at the past again. For you have been for me a fortress and a refuge in the day of distress. I can apply that to today. You've been that way for me in the past. You're going to be that way for me today. David remembers the times of God showing his strength. We need to do the same thing. He delivered him out of many situations. And just reading through the Bible and reading through Psalms, just looking at David's life alone, you see God delivering him over and over and over again. And each time, it's just another foundational layer of faith and trust that God builds into our lives. Every trouble we go through, if we look to God, he's building another layer of faith and trust in him in our lives. So, when we're looking at this, what are some lessons that we can learn from this? Don't get discouraged by trial. Don't give up. Don't quit. You know, the greatest thing that God did, I mean, you can read, God delivered Abraham from many things. God delivered Jacob. Isaac, God delivered Noah, God delivered, I mean, you can just continually look at it. But you know what the greatest delivering that ever was? Was that Jesus gave his son to die for our sins. God gave his son to die for our sins. Jesus was given so that we can be snatched out of a judgment, so that we can be taken away from what was going to happen from the fiery hell that is out there one day for judgment. Jesus was the greatest deliverance. If God was willing to do that, isn't he also willing to deliver you and care for you and watch over you through your life until that day when we go to meet the Lord and be with him forever? That's the wonderful thing about all of this. Things are going to go wrong. But God uses these things for us, for the things ahead. We need to watch. We need to learn. We need to find our hope in God and our peace in God. So you can say as David did at the end of verse 16, for you have been to me a fortress and a refuge in the day of my distress. So let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for David's life. Thank you for your word. Thank you for lessons that we can learn. Lord, I pray that you would affect. Well, I pray that you would help these words.
to truly envision us for an everyday life experience with you. I pray, Lord, that you would, you would show yourself strong. And when we don't see you right away, and when we want to see you right away, that we're willing to ask you to show yourself strong. Lord, open up a new relationship with you that is personal, that is open. And we thank you, Lord, for your grace and your mercy and for sending your son to die for our sins, for paying the penalty. So we thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.